Last week we went through the history of what was going on with uh, Alexander the Great and, and how Daniel basically prophesied about Hanukkah. I remember having a conversation with one pastor one time and he was telling me Hanukkah is not in the Bible. I said, yeah, it is. And he goes, where? It, it's not in the Bible. I said, yeah, it is. And I said, it's all about Daniel, right? I mean, Daniel talks about those four kingdoms. And then we, we know that Daniel goes through great detail and that is what went on. So, and he goes, oh, okay, I suppose, I suppose. I'll give you that. And that's where it ended, of course. But the point being is, as Christians, we hear Hanukkah and we just think Jewish. But this is something that we should remember. This is... Just as God, when he brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he gave them the Passover and said, remember this. Just as he led them across into the promised land and he crossed the Jordan, he said, each of you is to take upon a stone, you know, upon your shoulder, so that when your kids ask you, what, is these, what do these stones mean? Tell them that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. I want your children to remember my deliverance. That's what we're doing here. We are remembering God's amazing deliverance. And so um, just keep that in mind. Now, we did look at some of these verses last week. Just a real quick review. 1 John 10, we see, Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. That is Hanukkah. It's called the Feast of Dedication. When they dedicated the temple back. It was winter. And Yeshua is in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. It is at this time that he is going to be speaking of the miracles. Believe, if you don't believe you know me, believe on my works. Believe on my miracles. During a time of miracles that he is proclaiming this. And so we do. This is a time of miracles. And frankly, I think it is a miracle that God could cleanse this temple of mine. I, there are times I look at that and think there is no way... There is no way that I can get to heaven. And he says, yeah, you, you, you can because I made it possible. I cleansed your temple. I have dedicated your temple. I have claimed it for me. And that's just beyond words for me. But uh, Daniel 11 is, we're not going to go through all of it, but again, just to remind you, Daniel 11, you go and read through that. That is all about Hanukkah. That is what was going on there. And it's a picture of, or a shadow of, the end times and the Antichrist that is going to come. We know that Daniel talks about this being at the end times. And we always tend to think that this is, you know, you read Daniel and you think, oh, that's all of the past, but yet he says it's talking about the end. And so there is something about what you read in Daniel that is going to be lived out in our world today. In our, somewhere in the future, maybe it's starting right now. I don't know. But nonetheless, you can't think about it all being in the past. You have to look to the future. And Hanukkah is one of those ways where we are pointed to see what is going to happen in the future by looking at Daniel and looking at these verses. And so... Um, like I said, I'm not going to go through that history again. Um, I also showed you Daniel 8 last week. Um, 
in how it was 2,300 evenings and mornings that it would take in order for worship to be restored. And I talked about that here, that it was exactly 2,300 days from the time that they desecrated the temple to the time that they took it back. And so here is a historical fact pointing to a historical future. Now, it's been fascinating to me when we look at some of the things uh, Jonathan Kahn talks about, even with what's going on in our world today. And he was talking about Hamas and the Jubilees and how it was 2,315 days exactly from, I think, like the 1967 war to the 2017 uh Pact or something, I don't remember, and then there's another 2,315 in between two things. God is still working in patterns. There's no question about it. Just go watch some Jonathan Kahn, and you'll see patterns that God is still working in with his jubilees. So, we talked about the eight days last week, just to remind you. We don't know. The oil burning, that there wasn't enough oil to burn all eight days. And miraculously, it did. Or it could be a connection to tabernacles. We don't know for sure. But during the time of Jesus, it was pretty well believed that there was a miracle that took place with the oil burning. Even though we don't have a record of it being written down, the very fact that they saw it as a time of miracles when they were only, you know, 160 years away from this, suggests to me that there's something to that. And I still celebrate it as a time of miracles. Now, some of those miracles may not be just providing oil in a physical sense, but remember that the oil is also something that is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And that it's that Holy Spirit that now dwells in you, the temple of God. And that he is going to keep that burning until he comes back. But in John 10, this was the last thing that we kind of talked about last week, and then I'm going to keep moving on. He talks about, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I love that because he's saying this at a time when the Jews were very well aware of the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, those that heard and knew God's voice and were willing to even die to keep the temple from being, de uh, being desecrated. And he says, I'm going to give them eternal life. These people knew this is a time we're celebrating people who gave their lives up to follow God. And he's bringing their attention to that. And we should bring our attention to that too to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do? Um, we hang on to life so much. We hang on to our possessions so much. As I said before, are we willing to lay those down um, for eternal life? So with that said, we're going to break new ground here now. And I just want to show you a couple of things that I find fascinating. Number one, uh, Jonathan Kahn was talking about this. He said 40% of Americans, and I don't know exactly where he got this, but he was reading it off of his notes. 40% of Americans believe that we are in the end times right now. Now, those are just Americans, not necessarily Christians. 
As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting because if you take that percentage, that means more people in America believe that we are in end times than there are Christians in America. There are born-again Christians. 30% of other religions that are not even Christian believe we're in the end times. Like the, the world is coming to an end. Even the Democrats, 35% of Democrats believe that we are in the end times. Agnostics and atheists, 23% believe that we are in end times. How that works, I don't know. But that ought to tell you that something's going on for this many people that you don't even have to be a Christian and you can read the handwriting on the wall, but we want to pretend that as if nothing's happening and life is going to go on as it always has for us. That... While they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and marrying and being given in marriage right up to the day that Noah entered the ark. You see, there were signs that God was going to bring destruction on the earth in the times of Noah, in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they wouldn't listen. We're just going to keep going. As that Proverbs that I said, I've quoted many times, you know, the righteous see trouble and they take refuge, but the fool keeps going and suffers for it. When are the righteous going to see trouble and take refuge? How do you take refuge? We've talked about it. We need to start praying and fasting and, and, and we need to, to examine ourselves and cleanse our temples and say, enough following this world, enough following you know, all the, the desires and goals and dreams of this life. I want to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm going to invest in my family. I'm going to invest in hurting people. I'm going to share the gospel. Anyway, some future application to this, this, this festival, this celebration of Hanukkah. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 5, it says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. I want you to know that this is exactly what was going on, was a great deception in the times before the rebellion of Mattathias. There was such a compromise and apostasy going on in the church that people were willing to grab on to the Hellenization to, to make these small compromises. And you know, the Bible tells us that that is what's going to happen before the Lord comes back, that there will be a great falling away first. I think we've seen that, that there has been a great falling away in the churches today. In my conversation with Ron this week, we were talking about what's going on in Israel. And I asked him, I said, are you seeing any signs of repentance in Israel? He said, oh yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, that's good. I said, because... I hear a lot about, you know, the war, and, and I said, you know, brought up the music festival, but you don't hear them talking about how this was a pagan thing and, and how Israel needs to repent and call upon God. And he went on and he said that what, um, what America needs to do is America needs to come and conquer Israel. And he's serious about that. He says, because then the world will leave us alone. He says, everybody hates Jews. We are hated by everybody. 
Literally, he says, they even sent people to Antarctica, so now the penguins hate us. <laughs> he says, we can't go anywhere without being hated, but if America would conquer Israel, then America, this great superpower, ultimately, nobody would bother them anymore. You see, that was his thinking. And I asked him, I said, do you think that Israel is going to like just take over Gaza? You know, once and for all. He didn't hesitate one but He said, oh, no, no. He, he said, Biden won't let us. And I said, Biden? What's that matter? What's it matter what Biden thinks? He says, well, how are we going to pay for all of our missiles? How are we going to pay for our, our, our weapons? How are we going to pay? We can't do it. And I told him, I said, you know what I think, Ron? I said, I think it's time that Israel relies on their God not on America. I said America is Egypt. America is that splintered reed that the kings of Israel were, were waiting and trusting upon rather than trusting in God. Because they were a world power and they thought, well, at least we can have them backing us up. I said, we are America. We are not that Christian country that we were even 20 years ago. And I said, it's time that Israel trusts the Lord more than America. What's that? I don't even trust America. Yeah. And he said, he, I don't think he realizes the state of the church in America. And I, I told him, I said, we have, we have fallen. We are in an apostasy. It is so hard. There are so many people that I know that they can't even find a church that holds to the word of God. That compromise has crept in and, and it's in Israel as well. And just like I've been telling you guys, what, what's going to need to happen in Israel is they're going to need to be like losing. Right now they are puffed up with pride and hey, we're doing this. We, we've got this. But they're still leaning on that splintered reed of America. Something's going to have to happen to where they can no longer trust in anything but God so that God gets the glory. And frankly, I think that's exactly what we do in America, is we rely on ourselves because we think that we're such a world power. I think you should amend that statement to be trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, absolutely. And that's what the Bible says is going to happen in Zechariah. It says, they will look on me, the one whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him. That God has a plan to do that. And all of that plan is around this Hanukkah. That is what Hanukkah is pointing us to. Not by my might, not by my strength, but by the Spirit of the Lord. We get taken out. Yep, America falls, and then who's Israel going to lean on? And if they haven't prepared their heart to trust in God, not man, they're going to have to only be able to rely on God. You see, God is the one that should be getting the glory for these battles. A few weeks ago, I shared with you the you know, in the 1973 Yom Kippur War and, and some of these amazing testimonies and miracles that took place at that time. But yet, God doesn't get the glory for it. Israel's army does. And that's got to change. And so, 
during this season of Hanukkah, I want you to examine your hearts as well because we're no different. And I would like to see that at Hanukkah in Israel, that this is what they're going to realize. Not by my strength, not by America's strength, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Anyway, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, it says. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. A man of lawlessness. We've talked many times about how most churches today are lawless. And yet the Antichrist is a man of lawlessness. We've preached the law is bad. The law is bad because we haven't understood the law through the eyes of the gospel. And it says here that this man doomed for destruction, he's going to be revealed. Somehow you're going to know who he is. I think there's a couple of things that we need to watch for. The two witnesses, the fall of Damascus, um, but even the apostasy of the church. You know, when it gets so bad, I don't know, but I, I think that we're seeing things that are telling us that the man of lawlessness could be revealed very easily, very soon. He's going to oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. That could happen in a number of ways. You might remember three years ago I was talking about Donald Trump and how Donald Trump, a man who speaks boastfully, really a man of lawlessness, a man who made a treaty that is almost up in three and a half, that will have been three and a half years with Israel. Now, I'm not saying he's the Antichrist, just like I said three years ago. But what I am saying is it's going to look like that. It's going to look like it. Some of his statements almost claim himself to be God. Yeah, that, those are things to look at. Anyway, just like what happened here at the time of Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, meaning gave himself the name, the, you know, God manifest. Antiochus fit that bill, but as I said last week, Yeshua, Jesus said, there, that's still to come. When, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, well, that happened 164 years earlier. Well, actually more than that when Jesus is saying this. But the point being is, you wonder if how many people, how many Jews of that day were thinking when Jesus said that, wait a minute, I thought that already happened. And he's saying, we got to watch for this? Many are going to turn away from God, this apostasy. And how did they do it? It began with this Hellenization. Slowly creeping in the world, the culture, taking on a Greek culture rather than a godly one. And boy, I'll tell you, I, I can't think of a better example of Hellenization than the United States of America and the modern day church. 
how we have taken upon the culture of the world, even a Greek and Roman culture, to the very depths and core of how we operate in the church. So who gets to be Judah Maccabees? That's a, I, maybe there's going to be many, but I do believe God is calling us to take a stand. Honestly, even your willingness to be associated with me <laughs> in some ways might be being a Judah Maccabee. Because we take a stand for God's word. You're taking a stand for truth. The church doesn't even <clears throat> the church doesn't even realize what God's word says about these things. You know, <clears throat> we see here on number three, the Lord will destroy him with the brightness of his coming. When we light that menorah, that's one of the things that I think about too is that one year we had every one of these was a, a scripture verse talking about Yeshua being the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He who, you know, <clears throat> walks in darkness does not have the light and all of these different verses that he is going to, and this was one of them, that he is going to destroy that Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. This is a picture of where our strength is supposed to be found in, the brightness of his coming, not the brightness of our armies or our ability to, to prepare, store up food, guns, ammo. I'm not saying that's not what we should do. I think we should, but that's not where your strength is going to lie. That's not where your trust should be. I know that the Hellenization in even my own life. You know, I, I've mentioned before what Bodie Bauckham had said in regards to like sports. How many things in my life the culture has infiltrated into me that I thought sports built character. And when he asked, well, you know, then shouldn't the NFL and the NBA be the most character filled people in the country? I thought, Wow. That's Hellenization right there. Evolution. Christians that will not stand on the word of God, that don't believe in what God's word says about creation, that's Hellenization. And all of these things affect what we believe about so many things. Abortion, marriage, homosexuality, all of it. Because we've been Hellenized and there's no longer unity in the body of Christ because, well, I think the Bible says this and I think it says this and I, I interpret it this way and I think that and I think this. Rather than letting Scripture interpret Scripture, it says, I know what it says because right here, the Bible tells me what it means. I've given you that example of 1 Corinthians 15, I was talking to somebody about that this week. 
1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised, why are some being baptized for the dead? And I've heard pastor after pastor and commentary after commentary say Paul's just referring to a pagan custom, which is dumb. Paul wouldn't refer to pagans to, to illustrate a truth. If the dead are not raised, why are some being baptized for the dead? What does that mean? Well, let, let Scripture answer that question rather than our own brains. Go to Numbers 19 and you see that when somebody died, they touch a dead body, become unclean, to prepare that body for the resurrection. And when they did, it said you had to go through a ritual baptism, a mikvah. So if the dead aren't raised, then why are some being baptized in this ritual baptism? Because they touch a dead body so that they could become clean again. Why are you preparing bodies for the resurrection if there is no resurrection? So, again, there's just, here in my notes I have what uh, uh, Jonathan Kahn said. From the 1967 war, it started June 5th in 1967, October 6th, 1973, the Yom Kippur War, which was 2,315 days apart. Um, and then 50 years later, let's see, the Senate, June 5th of 2017, declared Jerusalem the capital. From that time to October 7th of 2023 was 2,315 days to the day. These patterns, but anyway, not going to go on that too much here. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17 what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. What does it mean to not touch an unclean thing? Well, I think it means this, and I think it means that. Or do we let Scripture tell us what's unclean? To be separate. What's it mean to be separate? In one of the messages that I'm going to be dealing with here for a small series is Jewish history and its application to the church. You're going to see that Israel has been persecuted throughout the centuries. Not, I, I think, sure, it was a, a spiritual thing, but one of the things that brought that about is that they were always separate. They wore different clothing. They went to different churches, synagogues. They ate different food. They had different kinds of prayers, different vocabulary. Everything about them was different. They lived in their little ghettos and remained separate from the rest of the culture. Is there language unique? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just Hebrew, basically. Yeah, they, it was Hebrew. There was different dialects and things. but So, bottom line, though, is if I look at the modern-day Christianity, how are we any different than the world? Most people, we don't even know unless somehow we get in some conversation. We don't look different. We don't talk different. We don't act different. We don't watch different things. I mean, if I go and talk about friends or Seinfeld, or I'm trying to think of other uh, Thrones, Game of Thrones, is that a thing? 
But there are people in the church or in the bars that are going to be able to have that same conversation. How are we different? We can talk about, you know, some rated R movie. I don't think we have done much to be intentional about being separate, not touching any unclean thing. And yet this is what Scripture says. How about honoring the Sabbath? We don't even separate ourselves that way. And yet, these are things that the Bible says were to make us different and separate. You know, when this happened in 164, B, well, when Antiochus came and, and the Maccabees started rebelling, people fled to the mountains. They fled to the mountains, just like I, you know, Matthew said was supposed to happen. Well, Matthew talks about that after this happened. But they did as a picture and a shadow of what is supposed to happen in the end times, too. Fleeing to the mountains. We know that Antiochus made them start speaking the Greek language. He replaced God with Zeus. Today there are Christians that don't even know Allah is not God. They think Allah and God are the same thing. It's just the Islam name for God. No, Allah is not God. Even in the Quran, several times, or in the very cornerstone of their mosque, the Dome of the Rock, it says several times on that mosque at the very foundation, Allah has no son. That is not God. You see, we don't know because we just blend in. Most Christians don't celebrate any of the festivals, making them any different. We do the same cultural Halloween, Christmas, Easter. We just put our own little Christian twist on them. We are to be separate because God lives in us, walks among us. Just as he walked among the Israelite camp and he said, you know, it's to be holy. We should do everything we can to make our homes holy and separate. Somebody walks in your house, they're not just going to see cute little art with words all over it. I, I think that's art today, are just words. Inspirational quotes. Shoes joy. <laughs> yeah. Inspirational quotes. <laughs> you see, people should walk into our homes and, and see, Yahweh, what's that? What's the blue candle for? <laughs> well, that would be in the yard. Yeah. You see, we do everything we can to blend in under the guise and, and idea of, well, it helps me to relate better with them. Tattoos. I, I've got a kick out of how many people have told me, well, it helps me to to be able to witness to those people who have tattoos. Come on. 
What's that? <laughs> if I don't have a tattoo, I can witness to somebody with a tattoo or without a tattoo. I don't need that to witness. You see, we aren't supposed to blend in with the world in order for them to be able to relate to us. We are to stand out and be different so that they look at us and say, what's different? Some of them are going to say, I don't want to be like that. Until their world falls apart, and then they're going to go, man, there was something about that guy. There was something about him that I kind of want. Even in the churches, let's bring it down to the churches. We had, you know, years ago, the seeker-sensitive movement. We were supposed to get rid of Christianese terms so that the world could understand us better. Rather than being separate, we became like them in order to win them over. It's not what Scripture says. That's not ever the pattern that's ever been for Christianity. That's the Hellenization that Hanukkah warns us against. Don't be like them to blend in, to maybe even justify it as a witness opportunity. I wonder how many Jews at that time thought, well, maybe we'll be able to tell them about the true living God if we look like them, if we go to their gymnasiums, their little bath parlors. I don't know. Matthew 24 says, this verse that I've been saying many times, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. When this happens, you're supposed to understand. And then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. That hasn't happened yet. Not since. This Now, some people will say 70 A.D., then that did happen, okay? More of a preterist view will take that. 70 A.D., they did flee to the mountains. The problem I have with it is that is not anywhere near what happened at the Holocaust. And yet, it's going to say that this is worse than anything that ever has been or will be on earth. It goes on and it says, Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. It is going to happen fast. It's going to be quick. When it, when it starts, it's quick. Neither let him which is in the field turn or return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Well, that's weird. Apparently the Sabbath is still going to be practiced. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. That's some serious stuff that we're supposed to be watching out for. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to have to try and cleanse my temple once that happens, because there won't be time. It'll be too late. We're to be prepared and separate now. That's one of the great values of learning about Hanukkah, I think. Committing these scripture verses to memory so that we have them already stored in us so that we can use them when that day comes. Both Daniel and Jesus warn that then shall be great tribulation unequaled. 
This is often called the time of Jacob's trouble in Scripture, or at least we call it that. And as predicted by God in Hosea, Hosea 5.15, it says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. God is going to have to bring a great affliction upon Israel, as I said, before they're going to earnestly seek God. That means that there is going to be some time, some tribulation, that is so wicked and so evil, so Hamas, that you won't even be able to speak of it in Bible study. There were things, and again, I'm not saying that this is it, because it's not. I don't think we're there yet, but I think it's a, a picture of it. What Hamas did to some of these Jews, I won't speak of. It's going to take that kind of thing, but for a nation, for them to call on him. And so this is what we look for. This is why we celebrate this, is to remember, to, to, to have our antenna up, to be watching, and to have these scripture verses in our mind, and to be continually reminded to purify our temple, to not be Hellenized, to watch for that Antichrist, to not be lawless, to be separate. And those are all great things that we get out of Hanukkah the Feast of Dedication. And as I said then, as we examine all those things, to every year we say, Lord, we are dedicating this temple to you. We are cleaning it out. We want it to be holy. And we look for a miracle of your spirit in our lives. That birth, that new birth that you and only you give. Next thing we also celebrate is possibly the conception of Jesus. I believe that it's quite possible that, as you know, as we've talked about during the period of Sukkot, that Yeshua was born on Sukkot. You back up nine months and guess where you're at? Hanukkah. That maybe Yeshua was conceived at this time. It is called the Feast of Lights. We know that Zechariah was ministering in the temple, and it says that he was in the order of Abijah. Well, we'll talk about that coming up, but bottom line, 40 weeks later, John the Baptist would be born, which would be at Passover. Six months after that, Yeshua would um, be conceived, ultimately, or I should, six months after Zechariah ministered as Kislev 25, or Hanukkah here, and that would be when Yeshua would be conceived. Brian. So the true light that gives light to all men is coming into the world. It is called the Feast of Lights. Hanukkah is, because they lit the menorah. The menorah is a picture of God and the Spirit. Um, the, seven, the seven candles of the menorah, and again, this is a Hanukkah because you've got a memory for the other things, but it's, it has that Hanukkah or um, menorah picture there as well. 
Anyway, I'm going to show you. I, this is how we know. You know, Luke 1, 5 tells us what priest, priestly line Zechariah was in. And I'm going to give you three different possibilities here. Number one, Yeshua was born on December 25th. That's possibility number one. If so, we know that I've got highlighted up here that um, these are the different courses, priestly courses. There's a lot of stuff going on out there that's trying to show you around this time of year that Jesus was born on December 25th. How do they get that? Well, they look at John the Baptist in Luke 1, 5. His father, Zechariah, was the one ministering there in the temple. And they say that that was during the feast or the, uh, the uh, Day of Atonement because he's burning incense. and He's in there and all of a sudden he can't talk because, you know, kind of questioning God and he comes out and he says his name is going to be John. You know the story in Luke. Well, if that is a day of atonement, okay, you got John the Baptist born nine months later, six months after that, Jesus being born, do the math, it puts you at Hanukkah time period, Christmas. Okay? Here's the problem with that. It's not that simple. Number one problem is this. The Bible doesn't say that Zachariah was ministering on the Day of Atonement. All he's doing is offering incense at the altar, and the altar of incense is not even in the most holy place. So there is human reasoning saying it has to be the Day of Atonement. Second problem is we think, okay, well, the priestly line of Abijah is always reigning or serving at this time. No, that's not the case. The Bible, and you can go read about this, tells us in Chronicles about how David instituted these priestly lines where each priest would serve for a week. And then they'd have a break and they would do another week and so on. But there were 24 divisions in 12 months of the year. And so what happens is it was set up so that if I was serving during um, Hanukkah this year, I will not be serving at Hanukkah next year or the year after that. It takes a six-year cycle before I would serve during that season again. That way, you didn't have the same person always serving at the same time of year. It rotated. And so every year, it was off. So to say that just by knowing when this priesthood served, you also have to know what year it was to be able to say that they were serving at that time. Does that make sense? And so it isn't as cut and dry as we would like to make it. Um, church history really... <laughs> is where we even, you're going to hear all kinds of people talking about this online around this season. Um, Hippolytus, a second century A.D., argued that Christ's birthday was um, in, uh, no, that he, that it was in December, December 25th, but he later, there's writings that actually say that he changed it to Nisan, which is like our March or April. 
In the 4th century, John Chrysostom, church father, argued December 25th was the correct date. Okay, Based on what we were just kind of talking about. So, the early Jewish sources will suggest that there were sheep that were indeed out in the fields at the wintertime because there were a special class of shepherds that would shepherd the sacrificial lambs and so that they would be outside with those sheep in the winter. So the argument that, oh, nobody, the sheep, the, the shepherds wouldn't be out in winter, they say isn't necessarily true because there was a special class of people that did guard them in the winter. I don't know if you would necessarily be outside with them necessarily. I mean, you're going to, I don't care if it's a special sheep or not, you still have to take care of your sheep all winter long, right? And so, but this is the kind of thing that you're going to hear. The fact that the angels announced the arrival of the perfect sacrificial lamb is kind of an indication that this was the shepherds that were watching the sacrificial sheep. Okay, so just, you know, not necessarily, maybe a good argument, but not proof by any means. Um, really, the only real evidence is second century church history, but not anything concrete. I can pretty much tell you, I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that Yeshua was born December 25th. Second option is that he was born at Sukkot, like I have taught. Again, this is the primary evidence would be this priestly rotation. Six years before the same group being serving again, you have to have the right time. But again, depending on what year this is, this could line up and it could also not line up. But the eighth course of Abijah in the spring of 4 BC would put basically him, Zechariah, in the temple at the right time so that Jesus would be conceived here at Hanukkah. I'm not going to go into all the details of it. I just don't think it's that important. Um, some of the interesting things that are just, again, nice connections is that means that John the Baptist was conceived on or around Passover. You recall that John the Baptist was kind of a type of Elijah. Passover is a time when they have a table setting for Elijah. So just kind of a neat connection if that would be the case. Um, the fact that the scriptures say in John that Jesus, it says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us would say that when the word became flesh is when he tabernacled among us. That uh, that would be kind of a feast of tabernacle birth for him. Conception now. Nine months from now, feast of tabernacles. If he was born on the feast of tabernacles, he would be circumcised on the eighth day. The eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles is a very special day. Um, 
basically Shinchat Torah, which basically means um, like a sacred assembly or the the beginning of a the beginning of Torah. And what that is, it's on this day that the annual cycle of Torah starts over. You've completed Torah, and on the eighth day, it is the beginning. So you start over back in Genesis. So they call it a time of fulfillment of Torah is literally what it means. So that when Yeshua comes and he is born, on the eighth day when he is circumcised, he is beginning the fulfillment of Torah. Starting over. Just a neat connection, if this is when he was born. Another neat connection would be Sukkot, nine months from now, is called the Feast of Nations. Right? And it's also called the Festival of Joy. When the angels come and he is born, what do they do? They proclaim joy to all nations. So the very thing that is celebrated at this time, the angels are saying. Kind of an equal argument of the idea of proclaiming a sacrificial lamb type thing. Okay. Um, another argument I would say for this is that the Catholic Church argued in 336 A.D. that December 25th was when he was born. <laughs> so I would say that's a good argument for now, <laughs> being when he was conceived. Yeah. Um, anyway, but the reasons that they did this, ultimately, if you do the research, is to connect it to the Roman holiday of Saturnalia, basically Christianizing a pagan holiday. So, December 25th, the days also are getting longer. It is basically uh, the birthday of Mithras, the birthday of Ra in Egypt. Um, the sun gods, it's the birthday of Zeus, December 25th. And so, this is when all these other pagan deities were being worshipped. I would say... There's no reason that Jesus is going to be doing that either. We know that Jesus was about 30 years old when he started his ministry. That's what Luke 3.23 tells us. Well, assuming that this is true is what most Bible scholars say, that he ministered for three and a half years. We know he died on Nisan 14, Passover. So what you do then, if he's 30 years old, he ministered for 33 and a half years, back up 33 and a half years from Nisan, and what do you get? Right to this time as well, that he's born at Sukkot. So there are some reasons to suggest this time. There is another third option, that he was actually born around Passover, probably the first of Nisan. Uh, this is one that Jonathan Kahn holds to. One of the reasons is Exodus 40, verse 2, on the first day of the first month, which is Nisan 1, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. That, that is when the tabernacle was erected. Um, the Talmud also records a priestly line that was working when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., 
So just back up following that same cycle and it shows you March 20th, 6 BC that Zechariah's division was serving then at Nisan. But again, that's going to be dependent on 6 BC that he's born rather than 4 BC. So depends on when he's born, how good of an argument that one is. The fall festivals, as we've said, are all about his second coming. The spring festivals for his first coming. And Hanukkah, Sukkot is a fall festival, so you would think that his first coming is going to be more associated with the spring rather than the fall. Just another logical argument. Um, so, in a nutshell, those are the different ideas. I say all of this to say, who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter when he was born. What matters is that he was born and that he came. You know, the Bible warns us about all these endless genealogies and things like that. And I think that sometimes that this can be so divisive among the church, especially when you get into messianics and we have families that celebrate Christmas. While I do believe that Christmas has pagan origins, there is no question about that. My mom and dad celebrated Christmas their entire lives, and when they did, they were celebrating Jesus. No question about it. And because of that, I didn't have a problem going to their home at Christmas. When I was in charge in my home, we were doing Hanukkah. But I didn't have a problem going to their home to celebrate Jesus. Just one more of the 365 days out of the year. And all 365 of them belong to God. All of them belong to God. Now again, I have found blessings in staying away from that in my home and trying to be separate and trying to do what Scripture says, not doing Easter, another pagan holiday, and doing Passover instead. I have found God to be much more of a focus than I ever did with those other things. But what I'm saying is, is that be careful about judging others because they just don't know. And we need to be very careful about that. Because as you can see, there are good arguments about other times. And if I have to be right about when he is born, then I'm going to be a little stressed out. If I have to get that all figured out. I'm going to focus on the holidays, the biblical festivals, and I think the way God works, as he's seen in Scripture and in history, he works around those holidays. He is a God of order and patterns, not a God of paganism. So, I don't want you to take me wrong. I'm saying, hey, go ahead. Let's all just start doing Christmas. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, don't judge harshly those who are doing it. And they're doing it to celebrate Jesus. Is that same for tattoos then? Well, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. You said judge too harshly, right? Not yeah. judge, just too harshly. <laughs> 
just it, want to clarify. It's funny the contrast that when you say that you were a believer and you celebrate Hanukkah. Oh boy. It is interesting why we, I think, can give that grace to them, but they often don't give that grace to us. Yeah, is very true. But again, they don't understand. It's okay. Be loving. So. Well, I'm going to close out real quick, just running through these just a little bit. I've done this last year too, but just so that you can see some of these things. Like I say, Christmas is not in the Bible. The Feast of Dedication is. And I apparently Jesus didn't want us to know the date because he doesn't tell us in Scripture. But what I do know is that I choose to cleanse my life from the worldviews that are not in the Bible. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do to be separate. Here you might see all these pictures of baby Jesus. At least many people might think that's who they are, but it's not. None of these are baby Jesus. We've got Mithras, we've got or Samaranus, uh, Osiris. This is a pagan thing that has been seen throughout history. Notice as well the sun disk or the sun on their heads throughout history. Here we have St. Peter which was really Jupiter from the Pantheon, turned into St. Peter. Notice the sun disk above his head. Here we have in India, okay, the sun disk above the head. China with Krishna, the sun disk above the head. Japan, the sun disk. Mithras, the sun god. By the way, these are all before Jesus. Mithras, the sun god here, up top, I know with uh, this is a really good picture on your end too. <laughs> that, <laughs> but up there is the sun disk. Um, Mithras was the. If you squint, it's mint. It's yeah. Mithras is basically the the equivalent of Ra. Um, he's the equivalent of uh, who's the one I I can't think right now. Ra, Zeus, Mithras. What was it? Wasn't that one? No. Oh well. Anyway, all these all these sun gods. As I said, they were all worshipped on uh, December 25th. Matter of fact, Mithras, the Roman sun god, was why Yeshua was crucified on a cross. They say because it was the tau, the letter tau which is what they were using to crucify them on. It was like a sacrifice to their gods. Okay, And so these gods were worshipped long before Jesus came. We even have Easter. This is Ishtar. Okay, And so uh, some people joke about Happy Easter, you just put a smile on her. Okay, That these are pagan gods that the church simply took over. Goddess, this is the goddess of fertility and uh, connected to Samaranus and all of Nimrod. I'm not going to get into all the history. I don't think it's that important. But we have Tammuz here weeping for her child, or women weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz was the child that... Um, uh, Ishtar basically brought back from the dead. And Tammuz was killed by a wild boar. 
which again, which is interesting, why do we eat pork, ham on Easter? That was to celebrate Ishtar, because they did that to celebrate the wild boar that had killed Tammuz. Okay? But anyway, um, the Bible talks in Ezekiel 8 about we women weeping for Tammuz here. This is something that they did on an annual basis. There were 40 days of weeping for Tammuz, which is very interesting because it is at the same time of Easter, which is the same time we have the 40 days of Lent. Tammuz basically, as I said, relates to the Egyptian god Osiris, the god of fertility and agriculture. The women's tears were to recall the supposed tears of Ishtar that brought Tammuz back from the dead. And so, anyway, here we see Samaranus and baby Tammuz, Isis and baby Osiris. Um, again, centuries before Christ, we see this mother and child and yet, none of these are baby Jesus. But if I showed this to any you know, person, they'd probably think that was Mary and Jesus. But yet, none of them are. So, we see so much paganism, Hellenization, that has crept into even Christianity today. Dagon, the priest, holding the world in his hand. I mean, in archaeology, we find Dagon all the time. You see it as well in the Catholic Church because, again, the Pantheon, they took all these things and brought them into the church. Here's Dagon, the fish god from Israel. Here he is again. You might remember the Philistines worshiping Dagon. Here he is again. I mean, I could show you picture after picture after picture. Here he is again in the Catholic Church. There's a reason for all of this stuff. A reason why it's there. Again, many people don't know any different. I'm not showing you this so that you can be judgmental. I'm showing you this to call for us to be separate. A call for us to be different. A call for us to be blessed by going to the Word of God, following His Word, and letting it teach and speak and purify us. So, in closing, just remember that, that this is a season of miracles, and the greatest miracle is that Yeshua has given you His Holy Spirit that regenerates you, that gets His Spirit in you. And it is that power and that Spirit, not by your strength, but by His strength and His might, that cleanses you. Call on Him, examine yourself, and be willing to stand up, be separate, and renounce and rid your life of these things. You've got Harry Potter books in your house, get them out. And don't just get them out, but now you start praying and renounce those things and say, God, I allowed evil things into my house. The scriptures say, do not bring any detestable thing into your home, or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Utterly detest and abhor it, for it is set apart for destruction. Get rid of these things. Be holy. Clean your temple by the Spirit of God. Pray, Lord, what do I have in my home, in my life, in my 
my mind that I have allowed to take root reveal these things to me. That is what we do here at Hanukkah. And in so doing, I think you're going to be able to recognize the Hellenization of the world so much more, and you're going to be able to recognize when the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, is revealed. When this man who speaks boastfully, a man who is going to make a covenant and is going to break that covenant, it is going to be obvious to those who are separate. But to those who are Hellenized, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to catch it. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and your word. And we just ask for the things that we've just talked about, that you would reveal these things in our life, that we would cleanse our homes, cleanse our temple, and that as we celebrate and study your word, that you would give us an understanding. As Daniel said, those who are wise will understand, but those who are wicked will continue to be wicked. Give us understanding. In the name of Yeshua, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.